0: This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I chatted with Katrina Hale, surrogacy counsellor, about the fourth trimester and what you can expect with a surrogacy fourth trimester. Now, you'll be wondering what the fourth trimester is. We talk a lot about that. Katrina has a formula for how to manage those first few days, weeks and months after the birth, both for the surrogate and for the intended parents. I'm gonna hand over to Katrina, but if you are after more information, you can find lots of resources on the blog on this topic and also in other podcast episodes. So Katrina and I are going to talk about the fourth trimester, which sounds a bit funny because why would a trimester have a fourth part? Katrina, why don't you tell us what is the fourth trimester? What is it in surrogacy and why is it so important that we plan for a good fourth trimester?
1: So I think I think the fourth trimester, which is the 3 months post birth, but I, I've never even thought of it as like being a fourth trimester, uh, so a quadbester. Um, I, I think that the fourth trimester is equally significant in a, a typical birth as well as a surrogate birth, um, but things probably just happen more naturally in, in a typical birth. So often, uh, you know, there's not a lot of focus on what happens post birth because it's seen uh, by, by some people. As oh that's the end of the surrogacy journey. You know, surrogacy ends with birth. You know, great surrogates given birth. Uh, intended parents have got their baby. Everyone's good. Everyone can go home now. On one level, that's what's happened. However, there's a concept that I use, which is called head heart hormones. So there's actually a huge transition that surrogates go through post birth um, that we need to you know be aware of and recognize and you know accommodate so uh, head heart hormones is that in a surrogate's head and in her heart she knows what she's doing before she signed up to be a surrogate uh you know before she got pregnant in her head and in her heart uh you know she knew that this was you know she was going to be carrying the intended pet parents baby um, so in her head and in her heart, she knows what she's doing. She's you know not going to form a maternal bond with this baby, as I've said before. She actually maternally bonds to her intended parent or intended parents. She's absolutely certain about what she's doing and confident in that. She's not carrying her own baby, but then on a hormonal level, on a mammal instinct, a primal instinct level, uh, her body hasn't got the memo that she's being a surrogate. So her body just thinks, "Oh, I'm pregnant." Oh, I'm giving birth. Uh, So then post-birth, her body has to get up to speed. Her uh, mammalian instincts have to recognize that she has given birth, but she's not going to be caring for that baby, and that's not a bad thing. So there's some very, very, very powerful primal instincts at play here uh, which are designed for the survival of the species. There's some hardwired instincts in there, that mean that if a woman gets pregnant and she's not quite aware that she's pregnant and she gives birth and there's a screaming crying baby there that she doesn't look at it in a pragmatic way and go what's this useless dependent little being that's going to suck my resources for the next 20 years she goes oh my goodness, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I am compelled to provide care and nurture to this little being for the next 20 years. You know, very, very, very powerful safety system. So in surrogacy, we're overriding that safety system because the surrogate's not going to be the person providing care and nurture. We have parents for that. Um, but her primal instincts aren't aware of that. They need to get up to speed. They need to get the MEVO. So post-birth, uh, so often surrogates think going into surrogacy and going into birth It's okay, I know I'm not the baby's mother in my head and in my heart, so I'm gonna be able to give birth and feel nothing. It's like, I'll just go home. No, 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 no. It's, it's like, uh, you know, it's really, really important that the intended parents have private bonding time because that's what I got. I had two weeks private bonding time where I didn't have any visitors and no contact. And I want to give that, them to that. So it's okay. I'll give birth and then they can leave hospital and I'll stay in hospital or they can go back to Queensland and I'll be good. She's thinking with what it feels like in her head and in her heart. But then once she gives birth, that's when those primal instincts kick in and her body says, You just gave birth, there should be a baby. Where's the baby? So if we're thinking of, well, where might be the baby at other times? uh, The baby's not there within arm's reach. Where could the baby be? Uh, The baby could be lost. The baby could be dead. The baby could be at risk of predators. So there's a very strong instinct to go and find that baby. So there's a bit of a formula that I I use uh, for managing that post-birth transition to meet the surrogates' needs. Now, this is a tough gig for intended parents. Surrogacy is a tough gig for intended parents. Uh, leading up to birth is very hard. You know, like there's a lot for intended parents to, to manage and deal with around birth and post birth as well. Much, much, much more demand on them than people just giving birth to their own child. So, because they have to simultaneously uh, become parents with everything that entails, hit the ground running with that while also having the additional uh, responsibility of caring for their surrogate emotionally you know and making sure that their surrogate is looked after post-birth it's not it's not that sort of thing of like oh well we're parents now herb it's done thanks oven What, what more did you expect you said that you weren't going to uh you know you weren't going to feel a bond to the baby you saw it as our baby you weren't going to have anything you know to do with the baby so what what are you what are you what are you expecting so, so my formula for that transition post-birth is in the first three to five days, uh, that's when a surrogate's hormones are doing, flicking a switch from hormonally birthing to hormonally baby nurturing. So it's the flip from producing colostrum to breast milk. Uh, and that's a very, very vulnerable time. Okay, we've got a woman who's just gone through the marathon of birth or she's gone through major surgery. You know, it's, it's a pretty demanding experience for her. She's like likely, you know, tired and exhausted and sore and beaten up and just feeling like I think I had a great description of someone's nether regions the other day being like lasagna. Um, so she's not probably not feeling her best. She needs a little bit of tender care and nurture. Um, but then in that first three to five days, she's also very... Uh, emotionally and hormonally vulnerable that's the sort of the three-day blues and it's because there's a big hormonal transition going on Um, so in that first three to five days it's where a surrogate's body is really sort of going okay you just gave birth where's the baby so I say that you know in that first three to five days intended surrogate and intended parents intended parents with the baby need to be a doorway apart okay so That's a a literal or a metaphorical doorway apart. So that means that when the surrogate's instincts kick in and say, Where's the baby? Didn't she have birth? Didn't you just give birth? Like, isn't there supposed to be a baby? Like, where's the baby? And in her head and in her heart, she says, No, 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 not my baby. The baby was the intended parent's baby. Uh, And her primal instincts, which are pretty strong, say, Yeah, but are you sure? You sure they got the baby? Like, what if? What if this? What if that? You know, what if they drove home and had a car accident? You know, what if they don't know how to feed the baby? What if, what if? So if she's a doorway apart, she can knock on the door, open the door, show her body. There's the baby. Safe and well. Flourishing. Being provided with, you know, care and nurture. You are off the hook, not your responsibility, body. So then hormone starts to come in alignment with the head and in the heart. So that's the first three to five days. So with groups who stay in hospital for a few days, that's easily accommodated. And then the first two weeks post-birth, I say intended parents and surrogates should be 10 minutes apart. Again, literal or metaphorical. But if we've got interstate uh, IPs, they need to be staying. Uh, They need to book themselves to stay for uh, at least two weeks post-birth. Why is that? Why do we need to be ten minutes apart? Again, we're still going through that head heart hormones transition, where sorry, it's head and in her heart. She knows what she's done. She doesn't want the baby back, uh, but her body is still adjusting to the concept. So she still needs to see uh, that the baby's safe and well, is flourishing, is being provided with uh, care and nurture, and it's not her responsibility. But this is being done. Yo, know, it's also that opportunity where. Uh, a surrogate gets her emotional reward, her altruistic reward. You know, she gets to gaze at the family she gave birth to, just gave birth to a family. She gave birth to a mom and a dad. That was the guiding vision of what she set out to do. So she gets to watch, watch that, you know, and spend two weeks like going, look at them. Look at them loving their baby. Look at them. Look what it's done to their relationship. Look how tender and gentle they are. Look at them floundering around. Look at them becoming sleep-deprived zombies. You know, I have to say on that, on
0: that point, one of the, the, the biggest delights I have still now is when I see my intended parents floundering. And for example, watching them deal with a poo explosion at day five after the birth was amazing because it wasn't me, but it was what I had set out to do was give them the opportunity of parenthood. And that included the poo explosion.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at them. This, yeah, look, at, look at them just in the trenches with every other parent. So, yeah, so, the two, so why the two weeks? I used to say intended parents need to stay for one to two weeks post-birth. But what a lot of intended parents heard was one or two weeks that they had a choice. Whereas now I just say two weeks because what happens is somewhere between day seven and day 14, a, a surrogate sort of in primal instincts uh, you know, start to get the memo and somewhere between day, day seven and day 14, she'll sort of go, Oh, Oh, I'm ready for them to go home now. So, you know, it's like, I'm ready to separate. So, you know, this is, this is you know, particularly for sort of interstate IPs. Um, so that's going to happen on day seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, 10, 11, 12, 13, or 14. And a surrogate doesn't know when it's going to happen. You know, she can't predict it. So there's no point saying, look, is it okay if we just stay 10 days? Do you think you're going to be right then? She doesn't know. She might be ready on day 10. She might be ready on day nine. But if she's not ready on day nine and the intended parents are going home on day 10, it's going to be a highly distressing experience for her. If she's ready on day 10 and the intended parents wish to go home, then they can because their surrogate's ready. You know, they don't need to stay to day 14 uh, because they've got the accommodation booked. If she's ready, then they can make a choice to go home if everybody's happy for them to go home. Again, it's a bit abrupt, though, um, you know, leaving the second that your surrogate's ready. Um, So that two weeks post-birth being 10 minutes away from each other is also a great time for the surrogate's children to hang out uh, with the intended parents, you know, see the end of the story, you know, that they've been told about. You know, baby was born, baby's been hanging out in your family, mum went to hospital or whatever, baby was born, and look, you know, this is what you were told. You know, baby wasn't going to come home to your house, but baby's there safe and well. It helps them transition as well. It helps them do their head-heart hormones transition as well. So uh, because they form their little bonds um, with the child as well. So then the first... Three months post birth, that's the you know the fourth trimester. I say you know p- intended parents and so need to be a phone call away. So if they're living locally, if they're living interstate, if they're living internationally, they're only a phone call away. How often you visit each other when you're ten minutes away or a phone call away is really up to the dynamics of the group. So, um, but there can be a huge drop off in frequency of communication uh, between pre-birth and post-birth uh, and that's something to sort of anticipate but also make sure it doesn't become an issue like i said it's a tough gig for intended parents i remember when i gave birth i just couldn't even function with anything you know i didn't i didn't return any emails didn't make like, you know phone calls whatever i just couldn't cope with it um, whereas if you are an intended parent you do have a responsibility you know you, you have taken a surrogacy journey it is different you know, to if you had your own child, you do have responsibility for the well-being of your surrogate. So therefore, you need to make sure that you don't go too far down the vortex of new parents' sleep-deprived zombiehood that you sort of go, oh, it was too much. I didn't have the time. I just couldn't, I didn't have the energy, you know, to do that. I just sort of, it didn't matter to me because your surrogate is in a very vulnerable and fragile state. Uh, and surrogates are very vulnerable to feeling used and abandoned so even if you you know you go look I'm so grateful for what my surrogate did you know it's an amazing gift but I just couldn't get my act together to give her a phone call regularly or send her a text or send her photos it didn't matter that much because I was too consumed with caring for a newborn it's like being consumed with caring for a newborn that's really 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 normal but you know you have the additional responsibility of your surrogate's emotional well-being because she just carried your baby for nine months and went through birth for you so it's not an option it's not an option that you were too tired or just forgot or whatever it's an actual responsibility that comes with with surrogacy so you've got to anticipate and plan that that's going to be a responsibility so keeping in touch with your surrogate and looking after her emotional well-being so Practical support, that's a different matter. So intended parents leading up to birth, they might have been providing a lot of practical support support to their surrogate, Uh, you know, cooking meals, cleaning, driving kids here, there and everywhere. But then post birth, it's unrealistic that intended parents are going to be providing that same level of practical support. But there's still a responsibility that that practical support gets provided to the surrogate. So that comes down to planning. It's not sort of like, oh, well, sorry, surrogate, Uh, we're busy with a baby, so you're on your own now. It's really anticipating what's the surrogate going to need post-birth. If she has a C-section, she's not going to be able to drive for six weeks. So how's all that stuff? Kids, shopping, errands going to get done. Um, It's also nice for a surrogate not to come home to just the normal drudgery. Of life, you know, the cooking and the cleaning and the housework and everything. You know, come home to a clean house. You know, have some meals. Just sort of have just a little bit of time and space to just reflect on on what's gone on, rather than just going you're back into drudgery, back into normal life and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it really the fourth trimester is it's not it's not an option. It's not not a choice whether we have to. Consider it in surrogacy because it does come with specific things and responsibilities and needs that have to be met uh, and planned for.
0: Um, I know we're going to talk more about what's happening for the surrogate. What I find really interesting is that I think it's really important what you said that the intended parents need to take responsibility for supporting their surrogate during that time. For the surrogate, though, my memory of it is that my intended parents were so lovely and kept sending me lovely photos of the baby and messages of thank you and appreciation. And that was lovely. But every time they sent a photo of their baby, after the first few days, I just kind of thought, why do these people keep sending me photos of their baby? I mean, she's cute but I don't know how to respond. Do I keep saying, look how cute she is, love heart emoji? That's that's about all I've got. And when I spoke to other surrogates, they all said, oh, you know, we felt that too, that why do these people keep sending me photos of their baby? I'm pleased for them, but I don't need to see photos of the baby every time. But at on the flip side if they had stopped sending me photos of the baby then I probably would have felt that they'd forgotten me so it's it's an interesting dynamic of trying to navigate what's what's enough what's too much Uh, do we just accept the photos as a token of appreciation even if we think that you know I I don't really care about how much they're enjoying their, their newborn at that stage
1: yeah, it's a really, really interesting one and a really, really complex and nuanced one. So yeah, so the whole, there's, there's sort of you know, in, the, in the zeitgeist thing of like, oh, intended parents need to make sure that they send photos of the baby to the surrogate because she sort of needs to see the baby. So head, heart hormones, um, a photo of the baby is reassuring for the surrogate on that primal instinct level. Baby's still alive, baby's flourishing, great. Yeah, I'm not responsible. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah, but then it's like, you know, and then and then it's also, you know, confirmation. Yep, that's not my baby. <laughs> that's that's my friend's cute baby. Yeah, it's a baby. They're they're in love with their baby. I'm really happy they're in love with their baby. So not that she sort of needs to see the photos of the baby because she's sort of missing the baby. It's like. It's nice to get that sort of reassurance. Yep, baby's safe and well. What a surrogate actually needs is photos. What's more joyful for her, what's more delightful for her is photos of the family she gave birth to, photos of you, the intended parent, interacting with your baby, photos of you, you know, the intended parent or parents, Covered in poo. Yeah, uh, photos of, of you, you know, the, the Indian parent looking sleep-deprived and haggard. Yeah, photos of the family she gave birth to. You know, she gave birth to a family through giving birth to a baby. So her, what she's actually bonded to, you know, what she actually wants to see is the happy family uh, that she gave birth to. So it's actually more uh, satisfying and joyful and delightful of her to see family photos you know, as opposed to just the baby because that's a photo of your baby and she's like yep that's their baby so um the other thing that's sort of interesting uh in in surrogacy is uh, a lot of surrogates say during the fourth trimester that it's as if everybody's waiting you know standing around waiting for them to implode post-birth and again it's that sort of belief of like oh how can a woman give away a baby Uh, you know, we know what happens with this. We know from, you know, the days of forced adoption that women will uh, internally implode and, uh, you know, live with this sort of unresolved grief for the rest of their life. Uh, That was forced adoption. This is surrogacy. So, yeah, surrogates sort of say that, you know, people come up, uh, you know, to them and they're like, so how are you? And they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Yes, but how are you really? You can tell me. And they're like, I'm good. I'm fine. (laughs) Have you seen photos of the baby? Yeah, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by them. I'm not quite sure what to do anymore. Um, So, so, uh, yeah, because I call that the alchemy of surrogacy. That is surrogacy gone well. There's a surreal moment that generally comes between day seven and day 14 uh, for surrogates. It can come earlier uh, for very close families um, where a surrogate looks at her intended parents and she goes, oh, isn't that fantastic? my friends have got a baby. I'm so happy for them. You know, they wanted a baby for so long. I'm just so happy that they got a baby. Isn't that delightful? And then she goes, oh, that baby was inside me. I gave birth to that baby. Oh, this is like, uh, uh, I don't feel like I did that. This is all a bit surreal. How does this make sense? Oh my goodness. Am I a cold hearted bitch? Because I don't feel sort of a particular bond towards that baby. I see that as my baby, as their baby. So what's wrong with me? that is actually surrogacy gone right. That moment is surrogacy gone right. The that, that alchemy of surrogacy, that's the beauty of surrogacy, you know, that that can happen. So it is a bit surreal. Uh, but So when surrogates have that and everybody's there going, yeah, but how are you really? And they feel great. They feel satisfied. <laughs> they feel content. <laughs> uh, and then everybody's there doubting that, sort of making them doubt Whether that's a good way to feel, they think, Oh my goodness, have I shut myself down? Am I in denial? Have I repressed this? You know, should I be falling apart? Should I be feeling more? But I'm not. It's like, No, it's good, (laughs) you know. Uh, Because the opposite way, the not so good way for surrogates to feel, when surrogates don't get to that point, it means they're feeling used and abandoned. It means that they haven't had. Uh, the the separation has happened too quickly. They haven't, you know, had enough emotional support and recognition from their intended parents. Their instincts are sort of wondering, you know, how's the baby going? You know, they don't go. They haven't had that sort of surfeit of photos to go, yeah, baby's good. So, and that's where it's that sort of that really interesting point of like, how how much is enough and how much is too too much. And that comes down to the dynamics of sort of altruism. If someone says, thank you, you know, you're like, oh, that's good. I feel, I feel appreciated. Um, and then they say thank you 10 more times. You're like, going, oh, this is getting excessive. They've just given me way too much thanks, way too much gratitude. Enough, enough. You know, it's like you are batting away the thanks and the gratitude. What a lovely position to be in. <laughs> to be so validated and so assured uh of your you know of your intended parents gratefulness and and uh, appreciation for what you've done that you can bat it away oh no 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 that's the point where you can where you can get to where you can go no i, I didn't do it for that i didn't do it for, for your thanks i'm actually just really glad that you're happy that's again the magic moment of surrogacy you know, when a surrogate feels recognized and appreciated enough and overwhelmed by thanks and gratitude that she can say, no, 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 no more, please, please, Mm -hmm. you're giving me too much. I actually just did it for you. Whereas if we take it literally of a surrogate, you know, a surrogate's going to say, I didn't do this for the thanks. I didn't do this for the gratitude. I did this to make you happy. So if we take that literally going, okay, intended parents go, what did our surrogate say again? Why she say she didn't do it for thanks, she didn't do it for gratitude, she just did it to make us happy. Ah, oh, are you happy? Yep. Well I'm happy. So she must be happy. Are we good? Do we owe her anything? Do we have to give her anything? No. Okay. So, you know, again, we're taking that literally. So it's it's a great position to be in a surrogate, bashing away the photos and bashing away the gratitude and the thanks, yeah, and the recognition. It means that you you've you've got enough. Your cup is full, your cup is running over. So, so where's that point? I don't know. It's like it's got to, you've got to be in a, in a state of abundance to know that you've reached that point.
0: Yes, so and I, I agree with define, you there. My, yeah. my intended parents were so lovely with sending lots of messages, uh, always telling me how much they appreciated me. And there was a point that I think I wanted us all to move into a new normal where they didn't feel like that they had to say thank you every single day of my life because it was so lovely receiving it. But yeah. I didn't want to just be their surrogate I wanted to be their friend and to see Mm. them as a family without needing without them feeling like they're indebted to me really yeah
1: absolutely absolutely and again like I said it's a very tough gig for intended parents post-birth because they'll often talk about you know it's the unpayable debt and things like that and then it's like in some ways they're just in the trenches as every other normal parent which is what their surrogate wants to do wants them to be you know she wants you know that's what she wanted to give them the opportunity of of being parents, sleep deprived, covered in poo, floundering, not knowing what to do—you know—all <laughs> you know, the all the the highs and the lows that come with being a parent. You know, she she wanted them to experience that. But then they've got all the sort of in, anxieties and insecurities that come uh, with having a baby via surrogacy. You know, are we giving our surrogate enough gratitude? Are we always going to be in this sort of weird sort of? indebted relationship with this person or we can just, can we just sort of move on to being normal? When do we do that? How do we tell the birth story when we go to the mother's groups or, or parenting groups or father's groups? You know, how do we, have I got a legitimate story to tell when I didn't birth the baby? How do I sort of, yeah, interact with society and the community and, and things like that when I, uh, yeah, you know, how can I just be a normal parent like any other parent when I haven't got there through the normal way. It's a lot to sort of navigate and, and negotiate of, of feeling worthy and rightful and you know normal. You know, it's like a woman gives birth to her own baby, brings the baby home from hospital, and the baby cries nonstop. What does she think? Uh the baby's tired, uh, baby's hungry, baby needs a nappy change, uh, baby's got a tummy ache, baby's got colic. That's probably what she's got to think. Uh, so she's got to act appropriately. Intended parent brings their baby home from hospital. Baby cries nonstop. What do they think? Oh my goodness, the baby's missing the surrogate. The baby's not bonding with me. It's like you know, this is a surrogacy-related problem. You know, a gay intended parents. Oh, this is because I'm a man. It's like, look, we just got a crying baby. There's so much focus on sort of what surrogates need, but intended parents also need an awful lot of support for themselves in that fourth trimester as well, because they have the extra responsibility. Of supporting their surrogate. So they need enough emotional and practical support and new parenting support for themselves that they have the capacity to emotionally support their surrogate. If they're sort of left with, if they sort of go, oh, we're just here to support our surrogate and it's just going to be the same as we were doing all through the pregnancy, they're going to discover that parenting is all consuming and they don't have the capacity. So again, it's planning for what's going to happen in the fourth trimester. Surrogate's emotional needs, surrogate's practical needs, Uh, Intentive parents, emotional, practical and new parenting needs as well. Mm, Okay.
0: So um, when we're looking at those sorts of supports that people might need, I'm all for people accessing counselling whenever they need it and then some. Can you uh, suggest ways that intended parents and surrogates should be accessing support in the fourth trimester? Is it that there should be, beyond the the legally required relinquishment counselling, that there should be team debriefs or um, counselling as a team or as
1: individuals in that time? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, like relinquishment counselling is really in New South Wales where there's a mandatory requirement Uh, for that Um, and I think yeah any surrogate having a debrief with a counsellor with her partner or birth support person someone who was else who who was there at the time is a great idea because it's a chance to sort of revisit that um, fourth trimester head heart hormone stuff that you know until you're in it doesn't you know isn't really sort of tangible to sort of look at well how are you going you know how are you recovering is everybody waiting for you to implode but you feel completely normal and are you feeling you know guilty about that that you're right you're okay um just sort of educating and supporting and validating what a surrogate's going through i think for you know what would a group need um again because there's not a mandatory requirement for it i haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of it to see what's beneficial and what's not beneficial. I think when there's been a traumatic birth, um, there's definitely a benefit of a group debrief. That's where I have found it It has been beneficial um, because that's where, you know, in a group you can get uh, everybody who is there to tell their version of the events and it puts the whole picture together. And that's when we can sort of capture the the highs and also deal with the lows and deal with the trauma and you know, see it through many, many different eyes. So traumatic births can sort of cause a bit of a, a, a fracture in, in the relationships and in the experience and, and things like that. So definitely after a traumatic birth or a birth that didn't go plan, to plan, there's a, a really good benefit of, of getting back together and sort of talking about what happened and, and putting it all together. That can be done with midwives as well as a counsellor, you know, or, or medical professionals as well. So, um, yeah, so, so that would be a, a good use. I think intended parents, again, it's not a lot of, its it's not something that intended parents commonly do, but I could see a benefit in intended parents, you know, checking in with a counsellor. Again, what was that stuff that we were supposed to be doing for our surrogate or checking in pre-birth, you know, just to sort of make sure that they've got an idea of, you know, what their responsibilities are in the, in the fourth trimester. This is our plan. You know, this is what we were thinking of doing. Is there anything else we need to do to, to make sure we're looking after our surrogate? So again, it's the balance between um, intended parents doing that as a duty and intended parents doing that spontaneously. Um, so I can sort of provide a, a guide of, of what's needed and why, which is sort of the principles. Um, and then it's a, a matter of sort of people to then come up with their own version of, of, of that as opposed to just doing compliance. Well, the rules say we've got to send our surrogate a photo of the baby every single day. And the surrogate's there going, that's the baby. Uh, whereas what she would really like is is to see a photo of the family.
0: For surrogates, what I have seen in the fourth trimester and leading up to it is that surrogates will try and plan other projects to try and distract themselves or keep themselves busy after the baby's born because they don't have a baby to look after. And that might include something like going on a holiday with their own family or starting a new project or uh, doing some of their own fitness. Do you have any advice about how they should do that to still, I guess, um, respect the process of the fourth trimester and take care of themselves without just trying to distract themselves from normal feelings?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's again, an interesting one um, because often often surrogates will leave a big empty space uh, post-birth because, again... They're not sure how they're going to feel, and they've got that little voice of doubt telling them they're going to be what they're going to be doing is emotionally imploding. Therefore, they need to leave a big empty space in which to do that in, and not drop any balls. Uh, But then, what they find is they're good. (laughs) Uh, You know, they've sort of got to that moment of of alchemy, um, and now they've just got a big empty space they're rattling around in. Uh, and also what's happened to a surrogate's brain, and we're talking the, sort of the primal hormonal stuff again, is a woman who's just given birth, her brain has wired itself and primed itself to be caring for a newborn, which means being frantically busy, uh, sleep-deprived, and focused on someone else outside of yourself. They're sort of all wired up with nowhere to go if there's just a big empty space. So there needs to be some degree of structure um, in that that post-birth space. So I don't think it's a good idea to get into that thinking of, oh, well, I'm not going to be caring for a baby, so therefore I can go back to work after two weeks. So two weeks is pretty brutal. If we think in terms of the three to five days, two weeks, fourth trimester, it's like at that two-week mark, you might have just got to grips with what's happened. And then you're back into work and back into normality when you're still going, this has all been a little bit surreal and I'm not quite sure what's gone, gone on. So again, it's sort of a bit too much back to normal you know, too soon. Again, back to drudgery a bit too soon. So it's good to have those sort of projects which you've been putting off forever. You never get round to. Yeah, they're not essential projects. Or a family holiday, again, something nice. Your family has come along on this journey as well. It's taken the time and the energy, it's been a burden on the family. So to spend some time just connecting and having fun and, and, you know, having just sort of pleasurable, happy, frivolous times with the family is is a really good idea. Some surrogates, have that sense of achievement it's like wow yeah, you know, like i feel so empowered by what i've done i could take anything on so again to sort of go well, what's my next step in life you know what's my next career step or what's uh, as a sort of humanitarian step or or you know what's something that i i now feel i can do anything to actually use that energy and that power to make a transition from my life before to my life now so i think you know ideally again fourth trimester it's 12 weeks that 12 weeks, I think nature leaves a sort of a, there is a sort of a portal. There is a sort of a hormonal portal, which is open for that that 12 weeks. So often surrogates will feel in that 12 weeks, like, ah, I've I've lost myself. I'm not quite sure who I am. I don't feel back to my normal self yet. It's like I'm not quite sure what's going on. You know, I'm on a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Oh my goodness, is this it forever? So, going back to work, going back to normal stuff, it's like it can be a bit unsettling because you don't quite feel yourself yet. So, even though you haven't got a baby to care for, being a surrogate is very significant. I think taking that time and space as a rest, as a reward, as a chance to do something nice for yourself, do something different, do a project, do whatever that you damn well want to do. (laughs) When you've just given birth and you don't have a baby to care for, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And again, with the fourth trimester, almost to the day, some surrogates, they feel great back to normal early. Others, they feel in that sort of altered state, almost to the day of the end of the fourth trimester. They will wake up on the first day of day 13 and... It's almost like a door is closed, a chapter is closed. They'll be like, oh, oh, I'm back, I'm back. You know, it's like, "Ah, oh, that chapter's closed. There has to be something physiological, there has to be something biochemical, there has to be something hormonal going, going on because that is so consistent. So, again, to be sort of, if you have the opportunity to take 12 weeks leave post birth, take it because. Yeah, you, know, you might need it certainly don't be going back to work after one week or two weeks it's like that's way too too abrupt you know be generous you know six weeks at the minimum uh for, for time off work you know, because just because you don't have a baby to care for doesn't mean you don't need to rest and recover and recuperate you, know, you just gave birth the other thing that surrogates do is because they don't have a baby in a pram or you know in their arms or whatever to sort of show for Uh, they've got no, they sort of feel they've got no excuse for having a floppy belly or a bit of extra weight. So they're sort of, instead of being the mum walking around the streets, uh, pushing a pram where everybody coos over the baby, they just feel like the fat frumpy woman walking through the shops uh, who's let herself go. Uh, They've got no excuse for it. So they'll often put a lot of pressure on themselves um, to get back to normal, to get their body back to normal. So, but again, it took nine months to create this, it's not going to snap back. Like you're, you're not royalty uh, with a pack of nannies and and uh, personal trainers and things like that. So again, just be sort of respectful of your body and gentle with your body uh, and grateful to your body, you know, for for what it did. You know, rega- even though there's, you know, you're not caring for a baby, you just built one. You know, so to to not sort of have a a strict timeline um, of that on I need to be back into shape by this again, I think nature has a physiological timeline of of birth recovery that recovery that you've just got to go along with.
0: I think that's right, and I do remember putting a lot of pressure on myself to have my body essentially to meet my view of what my body I wanted to look not postnatal and I needed my body to not look like that because it was a bit confusing Mm. and I tried to sort of get back into running a bit too soon and eventually it was actually at the six-month mark that I felt like my body was physically ready to start exercise in more uh, sort of trying to look not postnatal but it was a full six months of i i guess if anything my fourth trimester lasted six months before i woke up and went okay i'm ready to go now it's it's done yeah yeah
1: most definitely. yeah and it's interesting because everyone seems to forget the you know there's a about like post-birth there's about six Six to eight weeks of you know real physical recovery, and this is not even recovery from a C-section. This isn't a surgery recovery. There's six six to eight weeks of body fluids. There's six to eight weeks of adjustment of you know uterine contractions and things like that, and that's for surrogates when there's that sort of belief that surrogacy ends with birth. Oh yay, that was the happy ending. Great, the intended parents go home, they're happy, they've got their baby surrogate. Well, you've done your bit. Your bit's over, and then she's it's like she's left with the dregs. Oh, great. I've got the aching boobs, leaking milk. I've got six to eight weeks of body fluids. I've got the aches and the pains and the adjustments and feeling these dregs. You know, I've got the physical dregs while they're the happy family and everybody's just moved on and saying, oh, well, your bit's done now. Uh, again, it's that sort of feeling of being you know, used and abandoned or used and discarded um, where the intended parents aren't inquiring about the surrogate. How are you? <laughs> How's your body?
0: Uh, And on that point, I found the most sort of confusing part for me was losing hair, as most women do once they've given birth. A few months later, all their hair falls out. And I found it so upsetting and annoying to be pulling clumps of hair out every morning because I didn't have a baby to show for it. So I felt like... This it's such a weird thing to be angry about because I knew it would happen, but I felt like this was the most significant thing in my life was that all all my hair was falling out and they got their baby and I got this postnatal body and all this hair falling out. And it's such an interesting psychology, I guess, for my brain to be trying to cope with hair loss as if it's an important thing. Almost to the point of resenting the fact that they got the baby and I I got to brush out all my hair every morning,
1: mm. and
0: I guess it does come back to what we were talking about before. It's that our our brains are still trying to catch up with what's happening to our body that we've gone through this whole process of building a baby and giving birth, and even if our brain says right, get back to normal life now,
1: actually the body's still got to catch up to that. Mm, mm. Again, it's the head head heart hormone. It's like yeah, in your head and your heart, it's like all right. Well, you don't have a baby. Maybe get on with it, but then the whole other Mother Nature's got a whole other agenda, and it's interesting you described Yeah, the sort of resentment—it's it's almost like out of sync with with how your perception of, of what's going on and things like that. And it's almost like a resentment, and inconvenience. Like you know, I like the word dregs. It's like oh, you know, oh, you know, left with the dregs of this. Whereas when you're looking after your own baby, that stuff is inconsequential because you're sort of yeah too busy. Whereas you're sort of left with the capacity to. Pay attention to it, uh, but then no sort of benefit. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to add about the fourth trimester and how we can plan for it? Yeah, there's there's so much focus on on the on the on the surrogate, and in surrogacy, if anything's going to go wrong, if anyone's going to get burnt, if anyone's going to get the raw end of the deal, it's it's going to be the surrogate. Um, but I also think there needs to be recognition and validation of the tough job that intended parents do Um, and often a bit like sort of a a good midwife is invisible a a good intended parent is sort of sucks a whole lot up and is sort of there responsive and caring and supportive and and uh, you know doesn't appear to have sort of their own needs Um, whereas I think uh, yeah for a lot of intended Parents, you know, they are quite exhausted, like post surrogacy as well, because they've you know had to be that support system, and it's you know a lot of it's been out of their control and things like that, and they've still got that anxiety around the parentage order and things like that. Um, so it's it's like, oh, you know, do we get in and do that paperwork, or do we do we leave it? You know, it, it's it's like again, it's another responsibility on on top of surrogacy groups and on top of intended parents, like a. I'm in the trenches of being a new parent and I've also got responsi- emotional responsibility for my surrogate and I've got to do this whole legal process. It's, it's a very demanding time for intended parents. They haven't just got their baby and they're good. There's still a lot more that needs to be done. And again, it's, it's recognising and anticipating that it doesn't just end with birth, uh, you know, making sure you know uh, what needs to be done and what's going to be ha- happening and what are the responsibilities and what do we need to organise and plan for so that then the fourth trimester can go really, really smoothly for everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can
1: listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.